The following is a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de-churched people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at highlandsadventure.org. We're so honored that you came. We, we really are amazed that you love, we're not amazed, but we're amazed and happy that you've come every week and you're part of this incredible church. And we also want to welcome those listening on podcast today, especially from New Brunswick, Maine. And we know that it's colder in New Brunswick than it shows in this picture, but we welcome you here to the warm central coast. It's always sunny here in Paso Robles. We're on our third part of our series called Raising Hope. And we're on our final message of this this message series we're talking about. And our prayer for you is that you'll have more hope today than you did when this series began. That God would give you that gift that the Bible talks about again and again and again. We began uh, three weeks ago looking at hope and what hope is. We began looking at how hope is really the process of closing your eyes and asking two questions. What if? Now we can... Ask that question, of course, in a bad way. What if bad things happen? That's called fear. But hope is asking positive, something exciting, something for you in your life. What if? And we don't have enough hope in our lives. You need, and I need to ask ourselves that question on a daily basis. What if this happened? What if this happened? What if this happened? And of course, we looked at how faith and hope are are related, right? We looked at how faith is uh, what will be, and hope is what if. And the Bible tells us that that faith is the assurance of things we hope for. So if we don't have hope, we can't have faith. If we don't have enough what-ifs in our lives, we can't have any what-will-be's or what-is in our lives. And so that's really the definition. We looked at faith and hope in the beginning. We looked at that beginning process. And then last week, so that was number one. Last week, we took a look at the second part of that process, if you will, of hope. And we saw that once you start to hope and go down that road, it gets scary. You're out on a cliff and you don't know whether to go up or down or fall or you don't know exactly what to do. Maybe you've started a business and, you know, it was a good idea. What if back then? But now not quite so fun anymore. Maybe you're in the middle of a marriage when you have that what if. Wow, we're going to be like, we're going to be this perfect couple. What if? And it's not just as perfect as you thought it was going to be or your kids. You, you have this what if in your mind of a family. And now, now it's just not what you had in mind at all. It's tough or Maybe you're in the middle of a medical diagnosis and, and your what if was, hey, if I go through this, I'm going to get through this, and now you're not sure you're going to get through this. All of us have some what if. Maybe you're in the middle of an addiction, uh, just a daily walk every day of your life, and you go, what if maybe five years ago we could do this, and sobriety, whatever it is, and then now in the middle of it, it's, it's not so easy. And so we looked at how you need courage to have hope, and you need you need perseverance. It's just keeping going. Hupomene, the, the tent that stays up in the storm. Today what I want to talk about is the third part, and that is what we hope for. And we can hope for lots of things in our lives. We can hope for, you know, good things in our world. We can hope for presence. We can hope for stuff. But ultimately, our main hope is Jesus Christ. So every year this year, I told you, every year it's the same. And Richard and I look at each other before this season begins about Thanksgiving to Christmas. And we say, this is a season when a lot of close people to us are going to pass away. It just seems to be the way it is. And one of my dear friends passed away, a, a man who was 83 years old and who his name is Tom Gillespie. And he was president of Princeton Seminary. Now you may say, oh, president of Princeton, good, Graham. You've got a lot of important friends, but he wasn't like that at all. He was this down-to-earth guy. They called him Tom. He'd say, hi, Dr. Gillespie, and he'd hang out on the campus talking to kids until 11 o'clock at night about God or whatever they wanted to talk about. Tom was his name. 
This an amazing person. One of the things I love about Tom is he, uh, he started a new church in, in Garden Grove, California. Now, you'll know Garden Grove is a place where they started another church down there. God bless them. But he had this little tiny church right next to that. And he, he just continued to keep going on. I remember early on in the start of this church, I asked uh, Dr. Gillespie, I said, I'm not sure. This is getting hard. I'm in the middle of this journey. I don't know. He said, you keep it up. Have hope, courage, perseverance. It'll do. You're going to make it. And he was right. He died recently, but somebody recently told me a story about Dr. Gillespie, Tom. Some, one of my, I guess, classmates came in and talked to him once one day and wanted a reference for a job, a, a church that he wanted to go to. So Tom said, well, you know, great, you want to go to this church. Well, why do you want to go to this church? What is it you hope for in that? Well, said so this young man, I'm kind of hoping that I go from this church maybe to kind of a, a bigger church someday, maybe in a big city or something like that. Great, said Tom. And then what? Well, then, then said this kid, maybe I'm going to get out of the church work altogether and maybe go into politics. I'm going to be a mayor of some town or something like that. And Tom said, great. Then what? Well, well then he said, I, I, maybe I'll run for governor uh, somewhere, a small state or a big state. And, and Tom said, great. Then what? Well, then this kid said, well, then I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to maybe run for president and maybe I'll run and win for the presidency. And Tom said, great. And then what? And then this kid said, well, I don't know. I'll probably be an international statesman. I'll go from country to country to country and I'll be a really important person. And Tom said, great. And then what? And this kid said, well, I guess I'll die. And, and Tom said, great. And then what? And the kid thought for a moment. He said, I don't know. Tom said, you figure out the answer to that last question, and I'll write you a reference for your first job. Because that's the only one that's important. Really, it was Tom's way of saying, there's only one ultimate hope in our lives. It's Jesus Christ. It's the ultimate hope. It's the ultimate and then what for all of us. It's interesting. You asked Americans what they hope for this Christmas. They came up with some interesting answers. Number one, a new Xbox 360 with Connect. <laughs> Sounds pretty good. The number two things that Americans hope for this Christmas is an Amazon Kindle Fire. Sounds okay. The next thing that Americans hope for this Christmas, their what if is Elder Scrolls V Skyrim video game. Ever heard of this? Okay, nobody in this service. The next thing, I have to admit to you, this one I kind of want. So if you know somebody close to me, would you just let them know this is one of my what-ifs? The SIMA S-107 RC helicopter. I didn't want this until I read about it. But apparently it, it's like one of these things that has a remote control and you can control it 30 feet away. I'm just saying. And, <laughs> and the number five thing that Americans hope for this Christmas is an Arc for Life linear traction neck pillow. Now... I don't want to be one of those churches, and I'm not going to be one of those pastors that says this stuff is bad. That's not what we're saying. We're not, you can what if these things in your life. In fact, let me justify it. John Calvin said this, if you love what is good, it comes from God. You can't love anything that's good that doesn't come from God, everything from God that is good. So then you can have an S-107RC helicopter. So I'm just justifying that for myself. That's good. But ultimately... It's Jesus Christ. And that's what Isaiah, yes, Yahoo, saw in the year 587 B.C. He closed his eyes and he imagined in the most dark place imaginable 
The Israelites were having a terrible millennium. The Assyrians had taken over the country in 900 BC. They enslaved the whole country. 593, the Babylonians destroyed the temple. That'd be like destroying the capital in the United States. And then they destroyed it again after they built it up in 587. And then the uh, Ptolemies, the Egyptian Greeks, they basically took over and enslaved the country. And then the Seleucids, the Romans, they did it. And then the Romans, it's been a bad 1,000 years. And in the middle of that dark, dark, dark place, Isaiah closes his eyes and he sees a great what if. And this is a very important thing for me to say today because you may not be having a great Christmas this year for whatever reason. Maybe maybe this is bringing up kind of hard memories for you or maybe like the wonderful mother-daughter team we had baptized. Maybe it's just going to be no presents for you this year. But that will actually help you possibly. This may be the great Christmas for you because you can think about the ultimate thing in a way that you never could before. So that's what Isaiah does. He thinks... He closes his eyes and he sees a mother, a virgin, who was with child. And, and she had a son by the name of Emmanuel, God with us. Well, now one of my favorite texts we're going to share with you today is a text of Isaiah closing his eyes and imagining Jesus as a 33-year-old man walking on the hills of Galilee, preaching and giving good news. I hope you memorize this text today because I've memorized it. It's not hard to do. It's such a beautiful text, but this is the text, Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Isaiah closes his eyes and he sees Jesus' feet. And not to break this apart too much, but in the old days, feet were like the worst part of your body. They were the dirtiest part of your body. No one really wore sandals. And even if you did, your feet were dirty, which gives new meaning to Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. Literally, he was saying before he died that unless I wash the worst part of you, unless you show that to me, you can't actually have the kingdom. So Jesus, so Isaiah is thinking about hypothetically the worst part of Jesus's anatomy, his feet, and saying how beautiful are those things that bring good news on the mountain. But guess what? The key to this verse is not that. The key to this verse is the word those. See, Isaiah could have said how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. That would have made sense because he is imagining Jesus. But the verse is how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those. So who is those? I don't know. It could be the disciples walking around Jesus. Or it could be apostle, the apostle Paul. Or it could be the early church fathers, the early church mothers, or it could be the the Reformed Christ followers, or I want to lay one on you right now. It could be you and me. See, you could be the fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah today. We don't know whose feet those were, but we do know that it wasn't just Jesus' feet. It is those who bring good news. How beautiful are the feet of those. You could either be fulfilling the gospel by bringing good news, or maybe not. We get to be that. How beautiful on the mountain are the feet of those who bring good news. Remember that C.S. Lewis, beautiful Narnia where Aslan walks around, and I love that flowers spread wherever he walks. That's really what I think of when I think of Jesus walking around the mountains, flowers spreading good news. The second line is just as simple. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring peace. Peace for us has begun to mean like two kids on a high school playground who drop their fists and decide not to fight for the day. But that's not peace. Peace in the Jewish sense was shalom. 
Shalom is when you get all the Christmas decorations up and you, you get the fire going and you, kids are in bed and you're sitting back with something warm and you just have shalom. Shalom is when two people from different parts of your life, someone when you were in high school and someone when you were in your 20s, get to meet each other and they actually like each other and brings your life together. Shalom is when somebody that you're struggling with comes to you in your life and says, I'm sorry, I've not been a good friend to you and I'm sorry for what I did. And, And you say, you know what, I've not been good either. We need to work on this, let's do that. That's shalom. How beautiful in the mountains are the the feet of those who bring shalom. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good tidings. It's not a word we use very often, only this time of year. Good tidings we bring to you and your kin. I love the other line of that. So bring us some figgy pudding. So bring us. I heard this true story. I heard a kid singing this line the other day. Now bring us some frigging pudding. Now bring us some frigging pudding. I like that. It's more mm, frigging pudding. Frigging. But it's figgy pudding and good tidings. So what are good tidings? Good tidings are just little bits of good news. Did you hear that this mother-daughter got baptized at Highlands today? It was so beautiful. You had to have seen it. Anyway, have a good day. Did you hear that this uh, future NFL quarterback or football player from Templeton, he was in the first service, named Tyler, he, he got baptized at Highlands today. Do you know who's a really nice person? John and Kathy. I like them both. Great. Have a good day. Good news. Good tidings. The fourth part is how beautiful in the mountains are of the feet of those who bring salvation. That just means telling people they're free. Easiest way for you to do this is to tell one of your friends, hey, be free this Christmas and come to Highlands and they'll tell you why. (laughs) Or if you're good at it, you can tell them why they're free in Jesus Christ. And the final part, my favorite part, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who say our God reigns. Really, that's really saying those who say God is big and we're small. You know, I think that's the big problem in the world today. Everyone's God is just too small. Because even if you don't believe in God, but even if you do believe in that God, that God is so small that most people are like, I know he can't take care of my stuff. But God is big. This last week in my Bible study, we talked about how big God is. They, they just found, they just discovered a couple of black holes that are largest, the largest black holes in the history of astronomy. Did you hear about this? They're the largest black holes. To give you an idea how big these black holes are, one of them is 10 billion times larger than the sun. Now, just to give you some sense of that, because I'm not good at astronomy and I'm not good with numbers, but the earth is 24,901 miles in circumference. I like that they put that one mile on there. That's from my house to the church. They put that on there. So that's how big the earth is. It's very big, but the sun is 109 times the circumference of the earth. So you can do the math on that. It's, it's a big sun. But this black hole that they found is 10 billion. Now, in case you're not good with numbers, neither am I. That's nine zeros bigger than the sun. And do you know what the name of that black hole is? The Oakland Raiders. No, I'm just kidding. I love them. I just, they always destruct. I don't, you know, the name of this, this black hole is like T10396. Why didn't they not give it a better name than that? But, but here's something more impressive. That's the small one. The big one is 20 billion times larger. This is a picture of it than the sun. 
And somebody in my Bible study this last week said, wow, that really makes me feel small. And I said, exactly. God is that big. Now, what I want to ask you right now, and for you to ask yourself this question, is why is Jesus the hope of your life? And if we had the time this morning, I'd love to hear everybody's answer because it would be different. Everybody in this room would be different and all of them would be correct. Um, in our worship prayer time before worship started, we asked a couple of people and Jason, our keyboard player, said, I, Jesus is the hope of my world because nothing is real except for Jesus. All this is just, just like fictional. I love it. And other people said, Jesus is the hope of the world because he is eternity for me. Um, this is an amazing one. True story. A lot of people believe that Jesus is the hope of the world, and he is because of the healing that he does in the world. True story. A man by the name of Mr. Moreno was in New York City washing windows 47 feet above the cement ground. He and his brother were washing windows. Somehow the, the, the platform they were standing on collapsed, and they dropped 47 feet to the ground. The brother died, but Moreno went into critical condition into the hospital, and he was in a coma for a month. Christmas morning, he wakes up. He puts his hand on the nurse's face. He smiles. And then a, a month later, he's walking. So for a lot of people, Jesus is the hope of the world because he still does that stuff. For a lot of people, Jesus is the hope of the world because they're mathematically oriented and because God makes logical sense. For other people, Jesus is the hope of the world because he helps all people. The true story of some homeless guys who were in Los Angeles. People homeless, that means they don't have a place that's a home. And so there were a couple of youth leaders who were singing that old song by a fountain in downtown Los Angeles. As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. And this man who doesn't have a home came up and said, that, that's what I want. My soul pants for that water. And he accepted Christ. And they got him into a recovery program. A lot of people, for Jesus is the hope of the world because he still does that. For me, Jesus is the hope of the world because at a really tough time in my life, at three in the morning in Austin, Minnesota, Hormel Meatpacking Plant, I got down on my knees and I said, Lord, I'm not asking, I'm telling you, you better do something with this life. And if you don't, I'm just, I'm not telling you what I'm going to do, but it's not good. So you get involved here now. God did. That was called repentance in my life, and he was already involved. He just needed me to get involved. So I want you to figure out why Jesus is the hope of the world for you, but let me give you three reasons why a lot of people, he is the hope of the world. Number one, he, and, he made all this stuff. He made it all. So Jesus and Moses and another guy were out golfing, <laughs> and Moses hits the ball, and it goes into the middle of some water, and the water parts, and then Moses is able to go in and hit it up for a birdie right onto the green. And then Jesus gets up to hit the ball, and he hits it, and it goes out and goes onto the water and hovers on the water. Jesus walks out onto the water, and he chips it up, birdies it right into the, right into the cup. The other guy hits the ball, and it goes out there into the street, and then it goes up there, and it goes then onto a roof, and then it goes down into a drain, and it goes down a drain pipe, spits out, it goes into the lake, a frog eats it, he swallows it, he hops up to the green, and he spits it out, and an eagle comes and picks it up and drops it into the cup. 
And Moses says to Jesus, I hate playing golf with your dad. Very nerdy church joke. (laughs) But the point is, he is that big. I'm not a scientist, but I took high school physics, and I'll never forget Mr. Lim in physics told me something I'll never forget. He said the universe is made up of four basic elements. Four basic forces hold the universe together. The first is is gravity, keeps us all down, keeps the planets in orbit. He said the second is electromagnetism. The third is strong nuclear forces, and the fourth is weak nuclear forces, and that all is the four big powers of the universe. But he said the thing is we don't know how it all stays in balance. We don't know who kind of controls it all, but we do. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God is the one who keeps it all together. And that's so important because we live in a world today that really believes there's no meaning, there's no purpose, there's no truth. We're here for no purpose. There's no reading. There's, no, there's nothing in control of anything. In the words of Kurt Cobain, God bless him, all in all is all we are. No. Loved by God is all we are. That's number one. Number two is this. And it comes to everybody who is a Christ follower eventually, but we actually can't be the hope of our own lives. Trust me, I've tried. We can't. I saw this cartoon from Bart Simpson recently. Here's Bart Simpson looking into a mirror, imagining what he is. But actually, that's all of us. We all look into the mirror and imagine what we want to be. The problem is we can never be that. We can, especially me. We can never be the hope of our lives. Has anybody seen that, that show by Larry King, the new show called Dinner with the Kings? I was so hopeful for this, this show because I kind of like Larry King. I kind of miss him. And, and this has some great superstars, you know, Shaquille O'Neal and Conan O'Brien and Russell Brandon. And basically they're asking these guys the meaning of life. So these celebrities are asked the meaning of life. And, and honestly, five minutes into it, it's really not that interesting. Because, because obviously for most of these people, they are the answer to the meaning of the life. But they recently asked Larry King this important question. He's probably not long in this world. I mean, none of us is. But they asked him, if you could interview anybody, Larry, who would you interview? Mother Teresa or, or Joan of Arc or, or Gandhi or, or Alexander the Great? He said, no question. I would interview Jesus Christ. I've always known that Larry King was a seeker. By the way, let's pray for him. Not right now, but do that. You never know. What if he became a Christ follower? What, what proclamation would that be for the kingdom this year? But then they asked him, what would you ask Jesus? And Larry said, I would ask him, is your mother really a virgin? Seems like kind of a weird question, but I get why he's asking it. Because Larry needs Jesus not just to be a good guy, a great preacher, a great healer. He needs Jesus to be God, and he is. Henry Nouwen said this powerful thing about Christmas. Great thinker Henry Nouwen, songs, good feelings, beautiful worship service, nice presents, big dinners, sweet words do not make Christmas. Christmas is saying yes to something beyond all emotions and feelings. Christmas is saying yes to a hope based on God's initiative, which has nothing to do with what I think or feel. Christmas is believing that the salvation of the world is God's work and not mine. So we can't be the hope of our own lives. Last thing that I can't even begin to wrap my mind around, but it's true. 
we get to be a part of the hope of the world. When Isaiah closed his eyes and he saw on the mountain the feet of those who bring good news, he saw your feet and my feet. I forget that all the time. We are supposed to be a part of this thing. That's how big God is. He said, I want the people that I love, I made in my image, get to be a part of this hope, the light of the world. I forget it all the time. I forgot it when I was just a pastor after about one or two years. I was in Detroit trying to fly back to California to get there for Christmas in time. And I was really tired. First couple of years of ministry, I was not happy. And my flight had been delayed like three times. All the planes were snowed out. And I was thinking I was going to sleep in the airport that night. And I wasn't happy about that. And I'm sitting in an airport bar and I'm watching football and I just want the whole world to go away. And there's a girl sitting next to me who wants to talk to me a lot. And I did not want to talk to anyone. I mean, I was an off-duty pastor, okay? And she said, well, do you like football? And I said, yeah. And she said, what teams do you like? And I said, you know, Boise State, but let's not go into that. And, and, and then she said, well, my daughter lives in Colorado, and, and she is pregnant, and, and I'm not sure what I'm going to do. And so I realized where this was going. I didn't like it because I was an off-duty pastor. Did it have, I'm a pastor, tell me your problems written on my forehead? Don't think so. I said, just pretty much to, to just have her be quiet a little. Um, you seem like a good person, and you have a good soul, and I think things are going to be fine. So go in peace. There was a long silence, and then I heard this on the other side of me. I said, what? She said, it's the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me. The nicest thing anyone had ever said to her? Please. I knew she wanted something. Then she picked up her bag and she got off the stool and she said, thanks, bye. And I'll never see her again. And she did want something. She wanted hope. And God wanted me to give her some. And I'm not sure how good of a job I did. But how beautiful on the mountain are the feet of those who bring good news. That's what this table is about. It would have been so easy for Jesus to come into the world and be like us and die for us and then come back to life again and say, that's it, done here. But Jesus actually lets us be a part of his death and his resurrection and his hope. That's what this table's about. It's about Jesus on a night in which he was betrayed taking bread and breaking it. And saying, this is my body, which I break for you. Take and eat it. Be a part of this. And in the same way, Jesus took a cup. And he blessed it. And he gave thanks. And he poured it out and he said, this is my blood, which I pour out for the remission of your sins. Go and be free. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup... You declare my death. You participate in it. And I will come again. 
Anyone who is a Christ follower is welcome to this table. Anyone who is thinking about being a Christ follower is welcome to this table. Elders, come serve the people of God. We ask that you would hold these elements until everyone is served. This has been a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de-churched people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at highlandsadventure.org.